a series we started last Sunday called Lead Like Jesus, where we look at a few of the things that Jesus said and did and how that can impact our own roles in however God calls us to lead in different ways. Um, leadership looks like a lot of different things, and sometimes it means being up front in a place, and other times it doesn't. Other times it means being behind the scenes or taking on a role that isn't always as noticeable, and so many different things. Last week we looked at the heart of a leader as the primary thing that God wants to see in order to bless us into all of the things that he has for us and all of the people that he intends for us to be able to make an impact on. This week we're going to look at the hands of a leader. The hands of a leader. On the back of your bulletin I put a couple of the scriptures that we'll be looking at today. Um, I don't often do this. I, I usually like to find a variety of stories and illustrations that connect to the Bible. So I don't use a lot of sports analogies, um, but when I do, I, I, try to find, I try to use them very sparingly. But I came across one this week that I thought really fits well. Um, those of you that are basketball fans will perhaps be familiar with the name John Wooden, and he has gone into glory. And as Rebecca says, whenever I say sports-related things, she goes, Oh, sporting, sports stuff, sportsing, sportsing, the sporting in the sports ball. So you could see how well sports analogies go over in my home. But John Wooden is regarded as perhaps the greatest college basketball coach of all time. And he had this really, he was well known for his motivational speeches and the ways that he was really able to impact young men that were serving on his teams. And one of his quotes is, it takes 10 hands to score a basket. So those of you that aren't familiar with basketball, how many players are on a basketball side on the court at any one time, unless they're screwing around? Five. And it takes all five and your two hands each playing your role in order to score a basket. It takes 10 hands to score a basket. A basket. John Wooden is a legendary coach. He's most well known for winning 10 college championships at UCLA, including seven in a row, seasons where they went undefeated. What people don't often know is that he didn't want to go to UCLA. He actually, he and his wife, he wanted to stay in the Midwest. But there was some bad weather, and he was supposed to get a call from, I guess, the, one of the college, one of the universities in Minnesota, and the call never went through for some reason. And so he thought they didn't want him. So he accepted the call to basically come to UCLA and become their coach and turn their program around, which up to that point had done nothing. And when he did find out that the other team still wanted him, he was such a man of principle that he said, I've already given my word to UCLA, even though he didn't want to come out west. And he said, I will honor the word that I've given to them. Early in his career, his team had a hotshot player. We would call him a ball hog. The kind of guy that would take every shot, whether he was open or not. And he didn't involve the team like he needed or like Coach Wooden wanted him to. 
The player was the most talented on the team. But coach knew that this one guy alone would never beat a team of five other competitors. So, during a game, he called a timeout, and he spoke to the other four players without the other player knowing. And he told them that on the next play, when the hotshot was bringing the ball up to midcourt, that he wanted the other four players to just get to that same spot and then stop and do nothing and see what happened. And not only was that gentleman unable to score, he was not even able to get off a good shot at all. And he discovered in short order that when he tried to be the team on his own, that it was not successful at all. Coach Wooden knew that it takes 10 hands to score. Each player has a role. But what most people don't realize is that he was there for 16 years before he ever won his first championship. He started at UCLA in the late 1940s. And he didn't win his first title until 1964. So it took all that time of preaching team building before they finally overcome. Do you know that the first year Coach Wooden won a title with UCLA, they did not have a player taller than six feet five. And they beat Duke, who most people have heard of Duke. Duke has all the tall players, but they were slow. And so he had the idea, well, let's just be fast and let's take the ball from them. They're too tall to hold on to the ball, and they ended up winning that year. Many people have taken his principles, not just in basketball, but in leadership, because he knew that to achieve anything significant, it requires a team. I want you to think of a significant accomplishment in your life that you are particularly proud of. It could be something recent, or it could be something from a long time ago. Now I want you to think of some of the people who helped you achieve that or get to that point. And while I'm sort of throwing this out there in a rhetorical sort of way, if, if there's anyone that has the courage and you want to share something significant and maybe the person or people that helped you get to that point, sometimes we can benefit from hearing other people's stories as well. Is there anyone that wants to share this morning? You don't have to. I wish I could remember the names of the people I worked with many years ago. Um, but it became obvious that as a team, we could do well and make money for our company. But, um, and, and that was, was good for me to notice because I tend to be a Lone Ranger kind of person. Yeah. Yes. Often what we can do together is far more than what we can do on our own. One of the things that I talked with um, this pastor's group this week, because we represented about eight or nine different covenant churches in our area, we actually talked about what are some ways over the next six months to a year that we could come together and do some shared kind of ministry opportunities, whether it's a day of serving or some larger things where you know, each of our churches on our own, it might be a little bit more of a struggle to do something, but we come together and see what God can do when we come together.
Our big idea today is this. Achieving God-sized tasks takes a team. It's actually very, it's a very simple big idea. To achieve the God-sized tasks that God has placed before you, sometimes those are the scary ones that we don't always want to step into, you will not be able to do it on your own. It will require a team, even if that team is just one other person. Rarely will we be able to accomplish anything of significance on our own. In Luke chapter 6, we see this. We know that Jesus had all power and all authority to do what God the Father had sent him to earth to do. And yet we also know that Jesus willingly laid aside much of his own God-given power to involve people, you and me. Let me read a few verses from Luke chapter 6. This is how Jesus achieves God the Father-sized work. One day... Soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Just stop there for a second. First of all, I mean, that's, that's probably a little bit more praying, staying power than, than you or I would be able to muster. Jesus himself, who had such a connection to God his Father, took an entire night to pray. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples, all those people that had been following him closely, and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James and John. Those are those two disciples from last week whose, remember, their mom got involved and basically tried to like weasel into Jesus and say, I want my sons to be on your right and on your left. Jesus, in um, the book of Matthew, it says he actually nicknamed James and John, what, the sons of thunder, which maybe gives you a little idea of their personalities. <laughs> thunder, yeah, thunder is their mom's nickname, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe that, you know, I like that. I, I'm, I'm going to remember that. I might even steal that and use it, use it on another day. Uh, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas. James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. This was the team that Jesus assembled. It was a team of relatively diverse backgrounds, with relatively diverse backgrounds. Many of them we would call blue-collar. Some were, had, a, had certain other skills, maybe were a bit more learned in other ways. Some of them were, were professional fishermen. We know that there were some that had gifts with finances. And we know that even Judas Iscariot, who served as the keeper of the purse, had a role to play as well. One of the primary lessons we learn from this because could Jesus have done it all? Could he have done it all on his own? Did he have the power to do that? Of course, absolutely he did. But that's not 
what he chose to do. Nobody can do it alone. And even the one who could, if he so chose, didn't. For you and I, nobody can go it alone. Together is when we find that we can go farther. Together is when we find that we start to actually seek out and surround ourselves with the people who will help us accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. The second we start thinking that is, it is me and myself, we are not going to go very far. We see this play out in our world all the time. We talked a little bit about this last week. And usually it doesn't turn out too well. You might be able to have a wonderful moment. John Wooden had another quote or a little thing that he would teach his, his players. And he would say, talent can, can get you to the top, but character is what keeps you there. And so often you see someone who, who has a moment of inspiration or significance, but without that internal peace, that internal motivation, the heart stuff, you rarely stay at that level for very long. Nobody can do it alone. It means that for you and me, we have to understand the importance of finding the right people to put around ourselves, to surround ourselves. Sometimes that means saying no to some people. Or they might not be the right person for that, right, for that particular season in your life. What happens when one person tries to do everything on their own? Moses found this out in Exodus 18. Yes. You can do everything on your own, but you will not do it for very long and you will definitely burn out very, very quickly. This is what happened to Moses. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him till morning, from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? I like adding that tone in there. I think that that makes it a little more personal. Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone else stands around you from morning till evening? These are hard words. Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Man, I appreciate his father-in-law right now. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. That's that second part that I think is almost more important. And the people, too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Nobody can go it alone. Even though Moses is one of those people that we hold up as one of the key leaders that God utilized in the Bible from start to finish. Nobody can go it alone. You know this in your life whether it's in the work that you have been called to do at, at different points in your life, how many of you would be successful in your job if you were the only person? If you were the only person that people could rely on all the time, 100% of the time, none of us can do that. Here's one of the second things that, that I think we see 
in the biblical story. Prioritize teamwork over talent. Teamwork over talent. Now, don't get me wrong, talent is important. We talk about talents and gifts and skills. And we want to encourage that. But without solid teamwork, talent just becomes potential that's wasted. This makes me think of a situation at work. I mean, when I first started working, you know, in an IT department, our manager had us meeting all the teammates together in one room. But something changed where we started meeting one-on-one. So we couldn't really get the views of others from that, you know. You didn't have a full perspective from everybody. I didn't. I I felt like there's something, was something missing. Yeah. You know, so that's just one thing I thought about. You end up becoming a room full or a team of individuals. We get siloed into our little areas. Does anyone have an example from your life, maybe it's work or school or something like that, where you, you really saw solid teamwork overcome a particular challenge? Again, I said last week that in some of this series we're going to be kind of crowdsourcing some of our, our understandings. Yeah, Rebecca. Uh, taking care of COVID patients in the hospital. Okay. see a team working well. Yeah. Cool, thanks. Anyone else have Mike? So with what I do, we have to have teamwork. Yeah. Uh, an example, we had an off-site suspect back underneath the back porch. Uh, we saw him run there, a neighbor called and said, hey, some weird guy, I don't know who he is, is undermining the porch. And we knew that was him running from the scene that was just murdering his brother. And uh, we surrounded it. We had a helicopter up above, we had drones, we had canine, uh, the whole nine yards. He realized it was futile to just remain there, excuse me, remain there, so he ended up giving himself up. But had it not been for all of us being there, uh, there's no way that would happen. Everyone working together to achieve a particular outcome, yeah. Anyone else? Maybe one more example that someone wants to share? Ezra? Um, there's a lot of different stuff that happens in a, in a large corporation, but um, there's certain times when, you know, there, there's a kind of an impasse between one particular manager and then a mm-hmm. lot of the workforce, you know, we've got a union workforce, and um, sometimes one manager will just kind of go rogue and just like, authoritarian, like, I'm just going to say you have to do things this way and not abide by the contract of the workers. And so when you see all the workers, like, talk to each other and say, like, this is what we're going to do, and then, you know, kind of expose the, the issue, and you see the all the workforce kind of come together and say, like, this is what we're going to do, we're going to be united about this, we have a lot of differences otherwise, but um, to see that happen is, is kind of exciting, because you're kind of 
putting yeah. them in this place, yeah. I guess. It's sort of like a check to power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when all the uh. pawns can go, go up against the king, and, you know. It's, yeah. It's, uh, Sometimes it takes a lot of pawns, but yeah. it is possible. Yeah. 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 And usually that just it, just it ends up being like now somebody higher up gets word of what happened and they kind of scold them. So like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. That's not that would lead. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the, we have lots of examples of, of uh, you know, teams that are functioning well and teams that aren't, and we can learn from both of those examples. In, after Jesus uh, ascended back into heaven, his disciples were left to carry on the work that he had called them to do. Acts 4 says, when, when they saw the courage of Peter and John... Let's stop there for a second. What had Peter done right after Jesus was crucified, taken away? Peter had denied even knowing he was the most uncourageous person possible. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, what's, that, what's one of those first things that Jesus did for his disciples, and most specifically for Peter? Yeah, he, he asked him those questions. He basically restored him. They shared breakfast on the beach. They had a meal. And he restored him and said, and basically, yeah, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And from that experience, just a few chapters later, people were able to see the courage of Peter and John. And even more than that, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, what qualified people to serve on Jesus' team was not how much edumacation they had, how many skills they had in particular. Even what, had, what they had done in their past or even in their recent past, what qualified them was Jesus saw something deeper within and said, I choose you. And so when you have said yes to Jesus, he, he, in essence, says the same thing to you. I choose you. I want you on my team to carry out the work that God has called us to do. When you think of all those people that Jesus called and surrounded himself with, what surprises you most about the team that Jesus constructed? especially if you think of maybe your workplace. It is not the team that you would want necessarily in your department at work. It just seemed to be a group of just regular, ordinary folks that had different skill sets. Kind of a ragtag bunch. Yeah. What else stands out to you about the people that Jesus surrounded himself and basically put into positions of leadership? Mm. We know what Jesus was talking about, but most of the time, we just, they didn't know what was going on. Most of the time, they had no idea what was going on. How many times do we read that in the Bible? Like, they were completely clueless, and yet Jesus seemed perfectly willing to just let them do what he knew that they could do. Very patient. He was patient, but also... This is what Jesus did. He invested in and empowered people. That's how he operated. That's one of the primary ways that he 
was a leader and modeled that kind of leadership for us to have in our own life? Who are we investing in and empowering to do that kind of work? Those people that are parts of our teams or that we are a part of other people's teams. Jesus invested in and empowered people. In Matthew chapter 10, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority. So that same group of a bunch of unschooled kind of guys that didn't really know what they were doing most of the time, and Jesus gave them authority to cast out evil spirits, to heal every kind of disease and illness, and so on and so forth. He invested in and he empowered. And if you read the rest of Matthew chapter 10, you'll see all of the different ways that Jesus gave them specific instructions. He knew that they didn't know how to do it on their own. He said, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is how I know you can do it. Now, go do it. That makes me think of a discipleship program. And wondering, you know, I've always wondered whether or not covenant church or individual churches have a covenant, you know, a discipleship program. Because we're becoming a more seasoned group of individuals mm-hmm. here. And that's part, of our, that's part of the challenge that I want to sort of lead us to or end us with is, you know, who are those people that God is calling you either to have, to surround yourself with, to have on your team, or to lead and invest in and empower them to, to do the work that God calls us all to do. Achieving God-sized tasks takes a team. We know this, and yet I feel like we have to keep saying this because we always we have that temptation to want to do it all ourselves. And me, just as much as anyone else. John Wooden, who I opened with, while he's known for being one of the best basketball coaches ever, it's actually what motivated his heart that is his most significant accomplishment and a powerful leadership lesson. This is the part that not as many people know. Here's what he said. I have always tried to make it clear that basketball is not the ultimate. This is the guy that won 10 championships. He also coached Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton, and a whole host of other very, important, very strong names in basketball history. Basketball is of small importance in comparison to the total life we live. There is only one kind of life that truly wins, And that is the one that places faith in the hands of the Savior. John Wooden Wooden said close to his death that that he hoped that he demonstrated enough of the love of Jesus in his life, the love of God, that if he was going to be prosecuted for his religion, that he would be convicted. He passed away about 12 years ago. As you think about the people who are around you and how God has called you to lead and serve in the different ways in your life, I listed a few few verses at the bottom of your bulletin just to remind us of how God continues to operate in this world. Let me just read those and then I'll close. 1 Peter 4, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in in its various forms. That the gifts that you have 
are to be stewarded as God's gift of grace in your life. That's actually a powerful challenge for us as well. Ecclesiastes 4 says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. I brought a couple of those. These things I've had for over 10 years. And while the ends have frayed, the parts that are bound together have not broken apart at all. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. We can't do it on our own. Proverbs 27 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And Ephesians 4, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. That question at the bottom of your bulletin, who is someone you sense God calling to be a part of your team? Or maybe someone that you sense God calling you to invest in and empower. My prayer for each of you is that you would receive the blessing of God's vision in this season. To lead you to find those people, to surround yourselves with them. Those people that you can go farther with together. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you that in your amazing wisdom... You chose to make us dependent on you and dependent on one another. We thank you that we actually can't do it all on our own. That we are truly better when we are together. So God, I pray that you will continue to speak into the lives of your people here this morning. That you will guide them. That you will help them to identify and surround themselves with the people that help them achieve your purpose for their life. That you would give each of us your wisdom and your vision. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.